Amen. Okay. Turn your Bibles to Romans 8. I didn't put my mic on, so that's what I'm going to do while you guys turn there. Find a Bible next to you. Go to Romans 8. Guys, whoever put this up here, it's a wonderful thought to have to realize you're about to speak and you forgot your mic. Romans chapter 8. We've been in Romans 8 for a long time. Um, when we get the chance, we, we kind of return to this chapter and it's, it's been many, many months. It's probably six or seven months that Maybe that's an exaggeration, but, but a long time since we've been um, in Romans 8, and we're going to finish it today. And so what I'd like to do is I'd like to actually read the whole chapter. Um, and so I'm going to call up my readers today. I've asked a few people to help me out. So guys, come on up to the stage, um, and we're going to read through this chapter together. Please don't tune out. Let's remember, as we read through this chapter, try to remember everything we've been talking about so that those messages are fresh in your mind, Okay. And while they're coming up, I want to read 1 Thessalonians 2.13. This is what Paul says. This is not our passage today, but in another letter to another church, Paul said this. He said this. This is why we constantly thank God. Because when you received the word of God that you heard from us, you welcomed it not as a human message, but as it truly is the word of God, which also works effectively in you who believe. And that is my prayer for us today, that as we read this word, as I preach this word, that you would not receive it from me, that you would not receive it from man, but you would receive it as it is the word of God. Because this entire chapter, and especially the verses that we're looking at today, the ending, is a joy and peace and life generator for us that God has given us. And so often we look at these passages, we refer to these passages, they're on the walls in our house and, and we, we look at the generator, we point to it, and we say, it, it has a lot of power. It's amazing. The truths, that generator is, is so powerful. And we never go over and pull the cord and actually experience the power of that generator. Does that make sense? And faith, faith is what connects us. Faith is what goes over, pulls the cord, and fires that thing up. And joy and peace and surrender and love flow through our lives. And so may God's, may God's word be effective in our lives today, okay? Brother Henry, go ahead and start us off. Romans chapter 8. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, because the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do since it was weakened by the flesh, God did. He condemned sin in the flesh by sending his own son in the like likeness of sinful flesh as a sin offering. In order that the law's requirement will be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit have their minds set on things of the spirit. Now the mindset of the flesh is death, but the mindset of the spirit is life and peace. The mindset of the flesh is hostile to God because it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it is unable to do so. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Awesome. Okay, while they're passing that mic, um, can I see? Hold on, guys. Oh, there we go. Okay. 
what, what is the flesh, right? The flesh is that which is the earthly part of us. It's not just our, our body, our, our physical flesh. Sometimes when the Bible says flesh, it does mean that, just our, our physical body. But the flesh is that which is earthly in us, that which loves and values what is here and now in opposed to that which values eternity. And what is it in us that values eternity, that values Christ? What is it? The Spirit. The Spirit. So Henry ends with verse 8, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But good news. Mona, go ahead. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you, if any does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Now, if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but if the Spirit gives life because of righteousness, and if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through his Spirit who lives in you. So then, brothers and sisters, we are not obligated to the flesh to live according to the flesh, because if you live according to the flesh, you're going to die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all those led by God's Spirit are God's sons. For you did not receive the spirit of salvary to fall back into fear. Instead, you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies together without our spirit that we are God's children. And if children, also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be, be glorified with him. So here Paul transitions. So here Paul transitions, right? He's saying, okay, hey, we're going to be glorified with Christ, but the road to glorification is suffering. And then he transitions and he says, well, even though that road is suffering, good news. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. For the creation eagerly waits with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in the hope that the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage to decay into the glorious freedom of God's children. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now. Not only that, but we ourselves, who have the Spirit as the first fruits, we also groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. Now in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is not hope, because who hopes for what he sees? Now if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for him with patience. In the same way, the Spirit also helps us in our weakness because we do not know what to pray for as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with inexpressible groanings. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Now we, we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. 
Amen. And here's the passage we're going to finish with today. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He did not even spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him grant us everything? Who can bring an accusation against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more, has been raised. He also is at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, because of you, you God, we are being put to death all day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. The answer, though, is no. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Thank you, guys. Hey, thank them as they, as they return to their seats. Thank you, bro. Let's, uh, let's pray together, okay? Father, thank you for your presence here today. Thank you for your love from which we cannot be separated. Those, who, those of us who have put our faith in Christ. Lord, if anyone in here is outside of your love this morning, would you first help them understand that this is not true for them? That what we are about to say, what we are about to look at, does not apply to them. That they are currently cut off from your love, just as the rest of us were. But may they not be deceived to think that they are okay when they are truly still under your wrath. God, awaken their hearts to believe in Jesus and receive your love today and enter into the life of Jesus to let their life die and Christ's life be born in them, to be born again. And Father, for those of us who have been born again, that our life is now Christ, that we died and our life is hidden with Christ in God, Lord, may these truths effectively work in us. May they be powerful in us to combat the lies and subtle deceptions and temptations of the enemy to tear down strongholds of self-protection, of a need for control, of pride, of bitterness, of fear. Lord, may strongholds come down as your word is preached today. You are the good shepherd. Lead and feed your sheep today. All of us are in need of you, God. Open our ears, open our hearts to hear and receive in the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. So the main idea I have for us today is this. That as believers, that's very important. That is the qualifying statement. Those who have put their faith in Christ. We have God's love forever. And here's... A lot of us assume that. A lot of us are like, yes, that's right. I know that. But here's what a lot of us miss. We need his love 
in every moment. You need the love of Christ. You need it. You need the love of your Father. So often we are sideways in our lives because we are not receiving His love. We are trying to protect ourselves. We are afraid of this. We are, but His perfect love casts out fear. And so if we're fearing, we're not made perfect in love. We're not receiving His love. We're not understanding. We're not receiving it. We're not living in His love. Though it's there, it's not as if His love is removed from us because we just read, can we ever be separated from the love of God? Church, did you guys not get enough coffee this morning? Can we ever be separated from the love of God? There it is. Come on. We're alive in Christ. We are not dead. We are not dead. So verse 31 What then are we to say about these things, Paul says. He's going to transition now, okay? For the first eight chapters of Romans, it has been bad news at the start of we all need to realize our state before God, right? That we are sinful. That we need forgiveness. If we don't have forgiveness, we have eternal punishment. It's it's two ways. Either God has mercy on me or I'm done. Either God has mercy on me or I'm done. That's, that's bad news. But what is the good news? Is that God did have mercy in Christ. He sent his son and Jesus took the weight of our sin, the penalty of our sin, our dead life, and he gave us his perfect life. That's justification. That's amazing. That's hard to believe it's too good to be true, but that's why we meet. So we renew our minds and we encourage each other and we're like, is this real? Oh yeah, this is real. That's why we sing about it. Is this real heart? Oh yeah, that's right. Like God really did save me. He really does love me. He really is here. He really is with me. We gather to strengthen each other, to teach each other in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. That is true. And then Paul goes on to say that God sanctifies us, that we're free from sin, and he talks about all these benefits. And so here in verse 31, he's beginning to transition into the the deep waters of chapters 9 through 11, which we're going to get to, I think. Pray for me. Because when Peter said about Paul, some of what he wrote was hard to understand. I think what he was talking about was chapters 9 through 11. But we're going to do our best when we get there. Paul's about to transition, but he, he makes this statement to begin that. He says, what then are we to say about these things? What things? All, everything we talked about in Romans 8, remember some of the amazing things we just read them, right? We're adopted. The Spirit intercedes for us. We have received the Spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father, that our relationship with God now is not this distant one of a deity with a, a lowly creation. That's not all it is. It's actually a father-child relationship. It's that intimate that we get to say, we have the right to say, Abba, Father, that we get to call God our Father. Not from a distant kind of, you know, I don't know, just this idea that God's way out there and he's the Father of us all, but he's my Father. There's an intimacy. But then, also, I believe this applies to the rest of Romans. Everything we talked about in, in 6, that, that, that we have died to our old self and we've been risen with Christ that glory awaits us. These are just some of the things that, that we've talked about. 
We were sinners worthy of wrath. Do you actually understand and believe that you deserved wrath? This hit me again the other day. I was like, oh yeah, like I've been following Jesus for so long, sometimes I forget that I actually needed to be forgiven. And when I stumble now, like I ask for forgiveness, but really just sitting with it for a moment and saying, wow, like I don't deserve to be forgiven, but I am. Like we forget that because we get kind of, we simultaneously get used to the grace of God and don't understand it. It's, it's an odd thing. That's why we do this. We, that's why we read the word, to renew our minds. But we deserved wrath. But what did God do? He forgave us in Christ. We were bought with a price. We were justified by the death of Jesus. We were set free from the law and the power of sin. That is the law of the Old Testament. We have peace with God. You have peace with God. We were adopted by the Father into God's family. We have direct access to God, not just as servants, but as children. We have the Holy Spirit inside of us. So verse 31, what are we to say about these things? What can we say? This is what Paul says. If God is for us, who is against us or who can be against us? And I had to, I had to wear my tiger shirt today because how could you not? It's the verse. And, and this, he's going to ask a series of questions here. And here's the deal. I believe the best answer to this question, who can be against us, is not God. It doesn't matter who's against us. Should Satan and all the hordes of hell, every human being and power that there be, should every government on earth come against the children of God, we stand safe and joyful with the answer, not God. That's what I know. God's not against me. Maybe everybody in my life is against me, but God is not. That is the answer that matters most. If God is for you, he will not and cannot be against you. That doesn't make sense. Do you see that? And so for God to be for you means that he's not against you. Do you believe that? Now again, this is for the children of God. Your greatest fear, for those of you who have not put your faith in Jesus, your greatest fear is not Satan. Your greatest fear is God. Because he is against you. He loves you, but until you receive Christ, there is no other payment for your sin. You are in your sin. You are under his wrath. You must repent and believe in Jesus. And then God, this is all true for you. That God says, yes, finally, you're not my enemy. You're my child. I've made you new because you believed in my son. This is the power of childlike faith. David says something similar in Psalm 56, 8 through 9. A very bold statement. The, the audacity of a child says this. I'm going to skip the, 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 most of the verse and just go to the end. This I know. God is for me. Can you say that in the morning? A lot of times we're like, um, I don't, can I say that? Can I really say that? I don't know. I think he's for me. But if you don't know that, Satan's going to jump all over that. He pleads dirty. He does. He's like, yeah, you don't really know. I mean, maybe he does. He probably does. You're probably okay. That's not confidence. That's not going to help you when the waves of life come crashing against you. This I know. God is for me. 
So verse 32, Paul says, how do we know God is for us? He did not even spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him grant us everything? God gave the best. He gave himself to us through and in his son Jesus. You think God is going to hold back blessings from us now? If God gave us the best he had, why do we question, I don't know, is God really going to give me this good thing? In our hearts, we don't really trust. We think we got to go get the good stuff for ourselves. At least I do. If I want to have fun and enjoy life, then I've got to make that happen. You know, God's great with the salvation stuff and getting me into heaven, eternal happiness. But, you know, happiness on earth, I've got to figure that out for myself. What a fool. What a fool I am. No. God proved his, he loved us. He proved it. There is not a time we can't look back to the cross and say, look there. Do you see that my God loves me? Soul, look at the cross again. Look at the blood of my Savior running down the wood as he cries, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why? Because he loves you, Hunter. He forsook and abandoned his son on the cross because he loves you, Hunter. Because he loves you, church. Man, God could not have done more for us. May Satan never convince you otherwise. The cross was the one-time purchase for every blessing we have received and every blessing we have yet to receive. The blood of Jesus was the one-time purchase. There's not a payment plan, just a timeline. Now every blessing we receive is just another gift purchased through the cross. It's just another blessing. Verses 34 and 33 and 34. Who can bring an accusa- accusation against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. If God justified you, then he can't condemn you. That's bold. That's powerful to say God cannot condemn me. What a statement. Who do you think you are? Oh, get this. Who do you think you are, Satan says? You know what you say? I am a child of God. That's what it means to be his child. My father can't condemn me because he made me righteous. That's not arrogance. That's faith. That's truth. That's believing God justified you. If you didn't believe God justified you, you could have this false humility of, well, I can't really say that because, you know, who am I to say that about God? Who am I to say that to God that he can't condemn me? Do you believe in Christ or not? Are you a child of God or not? Then the one who justified you is not going to condemn you. What's the first verse Henry read? There is therefore no condemnation for those in Christ. For those in Christ. These are the truths that we wash our mind with, church. Life just has a subtle way. If, if Satan was like really direct every time he came against us, if everything was direct, it would be easier to spot it. But it's so subtle. So subtle. And Paul says we're not ignorant of his devices. We're not ignorant of the ways in which he tries to minimize this glorious gospel. 
We wash our minds in the truths. Who is the one who condemns? Again, the most important answer, everyone could condemn me. What's the most important answer? Not God. Not God. I hear so many accusing and condemning voices in my head all the time. Like, it's amazing. Like, I started realizing it. God woke me up and, and showed me. And it was like, oh, and I'm still becoming aware. Like, I'm in the process. Like, I'm preaching this, but I, pre I need to preach this to myself for real. Because for some reason, this is how the enemy gets me so much. Like, I'm cleaning the house, right? And I could imagine, like, every one of you all of a sudden become an accuser. Doesn't make any sense. Like, just figments of you are in my mind, and you're judging me. You got these judging looks. You're like, man, I don't know. There's hair everywhere. You know, You'll, like I just imagine these like, like just subtle accusing voices throughout the day. Why does she dress like that? Why does he look like that? You know, why does he drive so slow? Why does he drive so fast? They're the littlest, stupidest things. But you know what it is? It's a slow drip of poison. Just accusation, condemnation. <laughs> Does God say any of that crap? No. Hunter, do I say any of that crap to you? No, Father, you don't. That's not from you. And Satan says, well, it could be. But it could. Because some of it's right. There is hair everywhere. You got me? You got my wife? You got the dog and the cat? You come over, it's just hair everywhere. It's true. But what matters is where is the voice coming from? Is it coming from my father? Is it coming from somewhere else? If it's not coming from my father, then it does not get to have the final say. It does not get to be the voice that I listen to. And the, the voice of our father is not the voice of condemnation. He does correct us. Understand this. He does discipline his children because he's a loving father. But he does it as a father. How does Satan accuse us? As a destroyer. As an accuser. It is who he is. But if your father points out something in your life, and this, this is where it, it really hits the rubber for a lot of us, because a lot of us, maybe you had a father or a mother that really could point things out. You know what I'm talking about? You know, I love you, but this is messed up in your life. You know, I wish you would just be like this. And so what we do is we superimpose that on God now. And when God gently points something out that needs to change, and our, our response is not to surrender, it's to get upset, it's to get mad, it's to, however it is, to, to isolate, to whatever, because, oh, he's just like my dad, he's just like my mom, rather than humble ourselves because we actually believe. He loves me. He loves me. And it's not like us on earth. Oh, I know my dad loves me. Bless his heart. But I wish he'd just shut up. No. God really loves you. So when the Father disciplines you, when he corrects you, give thanks. Because that is him not letting you go. That is him not letting you follow sin to death. I am way off here. 
Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more has been raised. <laughs> Jesus died for me. He gets to say things. He gets to say things. Like, like think about that all in a situation. It's like, did you go to school? Do you have 10 years work experience? Why are you telling me what to do? Right? You ever had one of those people? It's like, who invited you in the room? Who invited you in this conversation? Right? Nobody ever has that experience where that arrogance comes up in your heart. And you're like, I'm sorry. Who are you? <laughs> that, we don't do that with Jesus. He's the one you walk in the room. It's like, oh, everyone shut up. Everyone be quiet. The king is in the room. The king is here. Christ Jesus is the one who died. Did that person die for you and rise from the dead? No. Jesus continues to apply, oh, the rest of the verse. He didn't just do that. He's also at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. Jesus continues to apply the work he already finished. The finished work of the cross is not just a cold, dead fact. It is alive and working through the intercession of Jesus himself. That Jesus is constantly right there. As the accusations flow in, Jesus says, my blood is still good. He justified us with his blood. He's right there at the right hand of the Father saying, yep, covered that too. Covered that too. That lie they just told, that evil thought they just thought towards that person, that word they just let slip in traffic because they're mad, that attitude of bitterness, yeah, paid for. Paid for. As Satan is hurling accusations against us, before the throne of God, Jesus is constantly there interceding, saying, yep, paid for, paid for, paid for. Oh, may it humble us. May it cause us to be in awe of him. These are the important things in life, church. So often we're caught up in, but no, you know, I got to get this done and, and make sure this is taken care of. And, and yeah, there's, there's a futility of life that's frustrating, we got all this stuff to take care of. We got to put food on the table. We got to make sure the electricity is paid for. That's not outside of our life. But, but we have to remember that God is in control of our life. And so what we need to do is realize how special things like this are. Because in my mind, I'm like, I don't have time to think about how awesome God's forgiveness is. I have to, you know, I'm late for this. It's like, no. No, you have time for the most important things. You have time for the most important things. Treasure and rejoice in who God is and what he's done for you. Verse 35 and 36, are you with me? Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Paul goes on to list all these things, right? And these words that he uses, he uses to describe our, um, they're not the words that we use to describe our troubles, Right? Not a whole lot of us are struggling with nakedness in here. Thank God. We all have something to wear today. Uh, most of us aren't struggling with famine or sword. <laughs> and, and we wouldn't even call our problems distress, but that's what they are. We're going through a hard time. But, but let's connect here to what Paul is saying. Because if we don't connect to this, it feels distant from us. And beloved, this is not distant from you. 
This is, this is your life. This is the love of God that you need to understand. These are all the bad things that happened to Paul. And eventually the sword got him. The sword took his head. Like Paul's not just throwing random things out there. You, Paul knew all of these things he just mentioned. He lived through them. And they will or have happened to us at some point. We are so blessed. We are not as familiar with things like famine and nakedness and sword, but these are very real for the body of Christ in other parts of the world. And I don't mean that in a, in a generic way. Me and Anton, every Friday, are praying for, um, we get, I get emailed three requests every Friday from Voice of the Martyrs in different parts of the world where people are just, it's just, they're losing their homes. There was one young girl, um, I think it was, uh, it was just a, like a terrorist kind of religious sect that came into their village, burned their house. Mom and dad died. She's just a little girl, and she's, she now has to live her life with no family and recover from the burns because of faith in Jesus. Because, like, this is, this is what, what is going on. We're in this little bubble. So th- these things are very real. They're very real to our brothers and sisters, and we're supposed to remember that. We give thanks that, man, God, thank you for sparing us, but, but we also enter into that suffering with them in our prayers. But when these things happen, think about famine and nakedness. Not having anything to eat, not having anything to wear. That's not as bad in the summer, right? When you want to take off as many layers as you can. But in the winter, when you don't have much to wear, maybe you just have a t-shirt and a pair of shorts and some flip-flops, that's not going to cut it, is it? That's, most of us are distant from that. But that's the reality of, of people around the world and Christians throughout the millennia. Most of us are unfamiliar with that level of lack. So I'm going to the extreme here to help us kind of understand. But if and when these things happen, we are tempted to believe the love of God is distant. We are disconnected. It doesn't make sense to us. If God loves us, then why? If God loves me, then why don't I have anything to eat? Why am I going through so much pain? That is what we ask in the extremes, but then think about the distress in your life right now. Why? Like, it would be hard. It would be hard for me to answer someone who says, well, I haven't eaten for a week and I have no money. And here in Fresno, there's like all these resources where you can go get free food, right? But in, in somewhere where there weren't, how do I look at that person and say, man, God loves you? I mean, according to James, part of that involves me buying a burger for them and saying God loves you, right? But here's the deal. This, oh, okay, I'm just going to move on. Paul gives us an example from Psalm 44 here. He says, because of you, this is what it says in Psalm 44, because of you, God, we are being put to death all day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. So Paul's giving us an example here of, yeah, where's the love of God there? What an odd passage to bring up when you're talking about the love of God, right? No, take me to Psalm 23, green pastures, quiet waters. Why does Paul bring this up? Paul is showing us that God's love is something that transcends the natural world and its troubles. That doesn't put God's love out of reach or disconnect it from our everyday life, because this is what Satan will love to do. He'll put God's love in this ethereal place up here where it's like, yeah, you know, theoretically, 
I could know God's love if I would take the time and read my Bible, but I'm not doing that, so instead I'm going to condemn myself and kind of try to do everything I can and get by and just live off the crumbs that, you know, God loves me and without ever really meditating on that. So, so God's love is theoretically in reach, but functionally, it just doesn't really happen. I just, that's, that is the tendency we have. But that, no, 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 no. Paul is we are elevated, church. That's what we're talking about here. It's not that love, God's love is up there and we need to get into this super spiritual state to ascend. No, the, the point of everything that Paul's talked about is that we've already been brought up there to God's love. That we are there. It is possible to know and experience and rejoice in God's love in the midst of our busy, chaotic, crazy, suffering lives. There's a richness. You hear it off of what he's saying. He's just exploding. He's just asking all these questions, saying, well, can God condemn us? No. Can he be against us? No. Can anything separate us from our love? No. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. And this is what the enemy or my own mind has convinced me of, is, well, right. I mean, yeah, God can, you, you can never be separated from God's love. But that doesn't really mean, you know, what does that mean? Like, are, is his love really close, though? Not necessarily. And so it almost like this verse means nothing. It's like, great, I'm glad I'll never be separated from the love of Christ, but rarely am I living in that love. Am I enjoying it? Am I understanding how badly I need it and I need to receive it? We don't think in terms like that, that, man, I really need love right now. That even sounds sexual, doesn't it? If someone said that, that's what we would think. Because that's how twisted our understanding of love and our need for it is. I just realized that. But you need God's love. You need it. Your heart craves it. And a lot of us, you don't even know what I'm talking about right now. Because you've received God's love maybe once or twice here and there. But on a daily, weekly basis, it is kind of, you know, just an idea. It's just here. God loves me. But it's not here. Oh my gosh, I'm free. I'm safe. I'm held. He's close. He's got me. He knows me. He sees me. And his heart is not condemnation. He's not way up there. He's here in the spirit. Is this resonating at all? Is this, we need the love of God. Oh, my soul. I had a hard cut at 1135. What am I doing? We need the freedom and power of God's love in our lives every day. So God, help us walk in your love. So verses 37 through 39, Paul says, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. So for that person who's in distress, for that person who is, you know, doesn't have anything to wear, doesn't have anything to eat, maybe that will be us some point in our life. In that moment, God's love is so real that it is not dependent on me having food to eat. Jesus knew this. He fasted 40 days in the wilderness. He wasn't in the park. Fasted 40 days. And who conveniently shows up? Satan. Let's turn these stones to bread. If you are the Son of God. If God loves you. If you're really His Son. And Jesus says, Man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word of God. Jesus was secure in the love of his father. 
even though he's starving, literally starving. Literally, 40 days, you are starving at that point. Bad things start happening in your body. And Jesus says, the word of God is enough for me. And what was the word of God over Jesus' life in the previous chapter? This is crazy. Like God's doing this right now in my mind. We're walking through this, and and I didn't realize this. God had just said, oh, this is powerful. God had just said to Jesus when he got baptized, he comes out of the water, the spirit descends like a dove, and what does God say? What is the word of God? This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And so Jesus out in the wilderness, I'm good actually. I have the love of God. Here's the deal. We, don't, we just don't understand God's love to be that powerful. We just don't. I'm saying it and I don't. There's moments where I'm like, oh, wow. But then I forget because I need it every day. Every day I need God's love. That God's love is that powerful, that securing. We just need to learn to see everything through the lens of the Father's love for us. It is foundational. This is how Paul is summarizing what he has set up to this point. God loves us, and we can never be separated from that love. All these terrible things, they do not endanger his love for you. They do not threaten his love for you. Because I think most of I don't know what we think. When we're going through hell, it's like, I know God loves me, but I don't know what that means. <laughs> think about it. I know God loves me because it's the right thing to say, but I, I don't really know. I don't know why he took my loved one. I, I don't know why I lost my job. I don't know why my, my, my kid decided to go astray. I, I don't I know he loves me, but I don't know why this is happening. And Paul takes us to the extreme, to the Old Testament, right? For your sake, God, we're being killed all day long. We're like sheep being slaughtered. Where are you? And Paul says, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, all this stuff, basically what he's covering is everything, everything, the dimensions of everything. He's covering. He's saying there is nothing, including you. You are within that. You are a small piece of these giant realities he's listing out. Height, depth, rulers, principalities, powers, things above, things in the past, things in the future. The timeline, nothing. Time, space, none of it. Nothing in it can separate you from God's love. The Father signed your adoption papers in the blood of His Son. Do you think He's going to let you just walk away? He bought you with the blood of His Son. He's not going to let you wander off easy. You're not going to separate yourself from the love of God is what I'm saying. And you have to decide that. There was a moment where I had to decide that not too long ago. It's like, I am going to decide to believe. I'm going to take a childlike step of faith and believe that I will never separate myself from the love of God. That, that I am his child permanently and there's nothing that's going to happen that I'm going to do that's going to change that. There is a confidence, a humility, 
and a rest in that. And what the enemy says is, man, you're arrogant. How could you say such a thing? <laughs> because of Jesus. Because of Jesus. So let's, uh, let's just, man, ah, more than a conqueror. All right, two minutes. Choose to believe you are more than a conqueror. You are a weak child susceptible to sin and deception, but a child in Christ, the true conqueror. This is not the posture of arrogance that says, man, I, I know. No, it is I am risking everything on the fact that Jesus loves me and this is what he's done and this is who he's made me. More than a conqueror. Because that's who Jesus was. Fasting 40 days, he has the power to turn stone to bread, eat it, take care of himself. He has the power to take care of himself. Do we have that power? No. no. Thank you, Malachi. That's biblical right there. No, we don't. In Deuteronomy, God says, I am the one who gives you power to get wealth. He is our provider. He is our shepherd. We ain't turning stones to bread. We're not bringing water out of rock. Jesus was the one who could have, and he didn't. Because he trusted the love of his father. That's more than a conqueror. That when you've had nothing to eat, that when you're in distress... I can let it go. I can let go of my need for control. I can own my sin. I can apologize for my wrongs. And I can rest in the love of God. That's more than a conqueror. That's conquering. Choose to believe you are more than a conqueror. Paul says, I am persuaded. Are you persuaded? If you're not, then that's what you need to do, child of God. You need to find persuasion. That's why you need to get in the word. That's why you need to be with the Lord and just sit in his presence like Mary, sitting at his feet, so that you can be persuaded again. Because otherwise, you're gonna be persuaded. Your default is this way. The love of God is stale. It's, it's just something that comes out of my mouth, but it's just stale. The presence of God is stale. But to be persuaded is the abundant life that Jesus has called us to. So here's our takeaway. Seek God's love every day. Let his love transform the way you see each day and let his love define what is most important in each day. His love, the love of God has to reshape the way you think. And so here's the thought I want you to have. When you leave, when you get up in the morning tomorrow and this week, here's the, here's the thought I want you to have. God's love is better than I'm, th than I'm seeing and understanding it right now. Like there's more to his love than I'm getting right now and it's not out of reach. It's right there. God's right there. And you start believing and asking, God, show me your love. Show me your love. I need your love. Help me receive your love. Open my eyes. And believing that he will and waiting for him to as you walk through your day. Amen, do you understand? Amen. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for Romans 8. What a glorious summary of the gospel everything jesus has done for us lord may it not leave us as we leave this place as we leave this gathering but may your word continue may it remain 
as Red was praying this morning, Father, just, I remember him saying that, God, that, that your, your word would remain, that it would not fleet away like so many different thoughts that we have, but that your love, your word, would be sustained in our hearts by the power of the Spirit. May our confidence be in you, Lord. You alone are worthy. We give you thanks. We're just thankful for all you've done and everything you are. In Jesus' name, amen.